Okay, so we are continuing to look at these different topics um, under kind of the the idea of redefining identity. Okay, so you know the culture has a lot to say about identity, and so um, I, I, what I want to do at the very beginning here is just kind of remind us of kind of where we've been. Um, so. You know, if, if you've missed a few weeks or this is your first time coming, um, you won't be completely lost. Okay, so um, Scott Levier kicked us off really um, at the very beginning. By the way, all of these are, are online. You can listen to them in, in total. Um, but he talked about just who are we. Okay, and so this idea of identity is really our sense of who we are. Okay, it's the, it's the sense of self from which our thoughts and our actions and our behaviors they come from that, okay? It's also what we want others to see, how we want to be understood, okay? And so the world has a lot to say about that right now, and we've looked at some of those things, right? They're tying identity to sexuality, to gender, to our job, vocation, um, you know, especially for a younger generation to, you know, identity to whatever you want to, you know, display on social media, um, and then politics, which we're going to talk about tonight a little bit. Um, but I want us to kind of ground ourselves here. There was uh, a number of things, six or seven, that Scott just kind of walked us through at the very first week that just Christian identity, right, involves conforming our sense of self to God's sense of ourselves. Okay, so if you don't hear anything else tonight... <laughs> Um, Christian identity involves conforming our sense of self to God's sense of ourselves. So I cannot ultimately determine my own identity. Right? It, it has to, it, God has to be a part of that. Okay? So I'm going to run through these very quickly. Um, and if you're really curious about uh, them, then you can go listen to that first week. But Christian identity means that my sense of self is in God's image. Okay? Right from the First, first few pages of scripture. So who I am is someone who uniquely corresponds to God. I uniquely relate to God as a human. So Christian identity also means that my sense of self is defined by God's covenant, right? So God has made a covenant. He's made a relationship with us. And so who I am, I'm God's covenant partner, right? Be fruitful and multiply. Like we have a role as humans. I'm God's covenant partner. Christian identity also means that I receive my identity from outside of myself. So this is very countercultural, okay? But Christian identity means we receive our identity from outside of myself. So who I am is I'm actually rooted in God's self-identification with me through Jesus, okay? Christian identity also means that it is received by faith. So who I am is experienced through believing the gospel, it also means that it is particularized through the Holy Spirit. Here's what I mean by that. So who I am actually becomes more and more distinct through the work of the Holy Spirit. This is sanctification, right? So all of us have been given gifts by the Holy Spirit. Um, all of us have the work of the Holy Spirit in us, making us more and more like Jesus. Um, and so it, it's particularized through the Holy Spirit. Last two, and then we'll actually get to politics. Um, Christian identity means justification. Okay, so who I am is affirmed by God's continual address to me through Jesus. So what the world would say is you have to constantly work to construct your identity, to maintain your identity, to secure your own identity. And what justification means is that God's continual address to me is in Jesus. As fully righteous is not guilty as his son or daughter. And then lastly, it means that it is justifying, which means that I am actually free to affirm others' God-given identity, okay? Because of the work of the Holy Spirit. So those are kind of the, the foundation of a Christian identity that I want, that we need to take into everything, but certainly tonight as it relates to, to politics. Um, one more just kind of recap. Scott also led us through conversational sexuality and gender. And one of the things that we really talked a lot uh, in, in that um, week was that what it means to be human and um, in, in made in the image of God really patterned after the Trinity 
um, is that we are created to be oriented towards and for the other. Okay, so I want us to remember that as we think about politics. That we are oriented, right? You know, you talk about human flourishing. We flourish as humans when we are oriented towards the other, not towards who? Us, ourself. Okay. So, politics and identity. So this has obviously been really throughout history that people have struggled with identity in politics, of placing their hope and their trust in political leaders, in, in alliances and military power. I mean, right now we're going through Isaiah in Sunday school. I mean, we've seen even that there. We look at Israel's history. They were, they were guilty of this all the time. Um, I mean, even the followers of Jesus, his disciples, they misplaced their hope that Jesus was coming as what? A political hero, right? To overthrow the Romans. Okay, so this is nothing new. But my observation is that um, theme, things seem to be at, at kind of a fever pitch right now. Okay? Um, and I think there's a lots of reasons for that. And so... I hope you came prepared to talk tonight because I'm going to try and ask some questions. So, do you agree that things seem to be at a fever pitch tonight, and why? Um, it's just really high. <laughs> think, think like the, the stakes are high. The scene, feel like they're higher. Thank you. Um, feel like they're higher. Um, you know, it's, 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 a, it's, a, it's, is that even a baseball term? I don't know. Um, you know, there was, I almost went there with that. And then I was like, this is being recorded. I can't do that. So, you know, one to 10, you know, not bad, 10 bad. They, they seem to be at the upper levels. Okay. Right now. And I'm saying, do you agree? And why might that be the case? I think a lot of it probably has to do with what we talked about last week with technology and social media. You're, you're just inundated with politics in a way we've never been before. Yes, absolutely. Inundated with politics like we've never been before, primarily because of social media. Yeah. And advertisers. And advertisers. <laughs> <laughs> Tough crowd. Yeah, I wasn't going to say anything. Um, what else? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. What else? Everybody depending on the other person's fears, and so a little bit. When their fears take control, they tend to increase in intensity. Those stakes are raised because it's afraid. Sure. Sure. Well, from a business model perspective, conflict drives engagement. So if you can position your content in such a way that I react to it, either positively or negatively, I spend more time on your site, I do more ads, it drives revenue. So there's these perverse incentives to make stuff as controversial. Yep. Yep. And that, that which we fear drives misplaced faith. So the more we fear, we fear our circumstances, we fear our, tempor you know, our temporal circumstances, our power, our control, it drives us to place of faith, often misplacing it in the wrong, in, in, in the wrong area in which we're trying to gain control of yeah. circumstances. Yeah. And I think how politics is swept into family dynamics through different generations. You know, like a Thanksgiving. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. How do you avoid all those conversations? Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, and, and Jenna, that brings up a good point. It's just, you know, um, the fact that we all most – I'm going to try to not use absolutes tonight and use and not use overgeneralizations. Um, but the fact that we kind of tiptoe around this stuff or we consider it difficult or awkward or controversial actually shows us proves, I think, that we, sh we struggle to find our identity in it. Um, so what are just some of the, I just want to, you know, want y'all's thoughts. What are some signs that we struggle to place our identity in politics? Cancel culture. 
speak out and somebody disagrees or cancels. Sure. Absolutely. What else? We can change. What do you mean? Something happens and, you know, the, the uh, climate isn't the way it was, you know, the week before. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So things are good. The next week they're not good, and your entire disposition has changed. Yeah. A uh, uh, question: Are you asking why we place our make politics our identity, or why we struggle to incorporate? what should be our, our, our identity into how we view politics. Does that, do you see I, I think I'm asking the first one, and I don't know what you mean by the second. So. <laughs> I am a little confused by the question, too. So what, say one more how do you, like, how do we struggle to place our identity in politics? Like, what are the signs? Oh, uh, I see what you're saying. Like, uh, politics is eschatology. It's belief that we think like every election is going to be the end of the world. Sure. Yeah. Something like that. I mean, that's something that, yeah, that's an example of something we can look at that like, you know, I, I mean, as long as I've been a, you know, uh, at least, you know, cognizant enough to be aware of presidential elections, that election is the most important election in the history of the country. <laughs> and that's what he means by politics is eschatology. It's like, you know, this, this, the end. Okay. Every election is important, but you know, what else? What are maybe some other signs? To her point earlier, like fractured family relationships over politics. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like, yeah, broken, not just family, but just bro like broken relationships. Like, you know, friends don't speak to each other anymore. Um, what now? Tribalism, us versus them mentality. Yeah. Right. They seek influence over politics. Yeah. Not just influence in the culture around politics. Yeah. Actually, influence over political power. So. Yeah. I mean, if if you've been around here for a minute, you know that like you know part of the the man that you know the the divine mandate in the very beginning of the Bible, you know, is we're meant to impact culture. I mean that that's that's part of what that means. And but the means by which that happens, there's a lot. I mean, churches. There's a lot of different views about how that should happen. And we, put, we, we actually elevate the, the ends above the means. We, no. we assume that a, a good political end justifies the means yeah. that we go about getting yeah. yeah. And hence the church's message changes. So, so 90s sermons about character counts. Hmm. Hmm. Doesn't count. Yeah. 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 Um, so. Tribalism was mentioned. Um, I'd, I'd like to talk to talk a little bit about this um, because it can be very tempting. Um, and, and now, look, this is certainly true for Christians, but just for people, especially in the West, in America, it can be very tempting to just fully align ourselves with one political tribe or ideology. Okay, that's very tempting to do. I mean, frankly, like when you look at it, it doesn't seem like we have an option. It's one or the other, right? I mean, right now it's Republican and Democrat. So, I mean, the, 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 the landscape kind of lends itself. So Christians, by and large, we, we struggle to think about politics outside of an ideological framework being presented by either conservatism or progressivism, right? So really what ends up happening is we become aligned to these political ideologies. And so we end up actually viewing everything through these frameworks, so it's not a biblical theological worldview. It actually ends up being some sort of political ideological view. Um, and we become so tied to this framework and, and, this, and the tribe that represents this um, framework. So how do we view and treat others who do not share our ideological framework? R right and wrong answers accepted. <laughs> how do we... View and treat others who do not share our ideological framework. The best 
biggest problems I see with this is within the church because people will talk about it. Well, they can't possibly really believe if they would vote that way. I mean, I, I mean, people say that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. I also feel like there's a, and I don't mean this in any kind of insult, but in my own personal family of origin, a generational divide mm -hmm. where it's, this is how we vote because this is what we believe, period, and there's no nuance. Like, actually, there's more than one thing that God cares about. There's a lot of things that God cares about. Yeah. I'm kind of politically homeless, yeah. and there, you know, and that's not okay, though, right. in my own family of origin. But I feel like that's a trend yeah. generationally, yeah. also. Yeah. How else do we view and treat others who do not share our ideological framework? Patronize sometimes. I mean, sometimes it's overt and, of course, canceled, but yeah. sometimes we just bust their heart. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's a real judgment. A real judgment of people. Yes, yes real, real judgment. Jenna. Yeah. Yeah, there's a there's an avoidance, there's a you know a retreat mentality. Um, when we, and we isolate ourselves. We actually draw sure. communities where we sure. challenge. Yeah. Um, you know, I'd, and it's it's easy to see on the, the the big scale, right? But just I mean, just animosity, just animosity, and and I think for for Christians, um, I mean, what is our fundamental perspective of, of other people? They're made in the image of God, right? So, and, and then, um, you know, our, our political, political opponents, um, who are our brothers and sisters in Christ, who might subscribe to a different political ideology, right? I mean, they're, they're, there are people here at Covenant that, like, voted differently in the presidential election. I, if that's new news to you, um, well, let's talk after. So when we're brothers and sisters in Christ, right? So what does the, how does the Bible actually help us here? How does the Bible help us here? Like I know that's a big question, but how does the Bible help us here? In the way that we treat others who do not share our ideological framework. We're commanded to love one another. Yeah. Yes. What else? There's really nothing in the Bible about politics. Well, there is. I would disagree. There's not any framework that's, I don't know, it's just... Well, where I disagree with that... Okay, yeah, let's go. Is that the, it specifically says in the Bible that God raises up leaders and he tears them down. So he does build up nations and he tears down nations. And I'll have to find the scripture. I yeah. Exactly a reference, but that's from the so, okay. But both of you are right. Um, because there are a lot of, in, in, um, for example, there's a lot of policy positions that you can't trace back to like biblical, um, to, to chapter and verse that more fall under practical wisdom. And yet... I mean, the Bible was written to real people living under good and bad and neutral rulers and living within, you know, political systems and, you know, called to live as a faithful presence in the midst of that. And so it's, it is both. And the, but the, I think you, you, you illustrated kind of the tension that we feel um, that sometimes it doesn't go far enough for us, but, but, but it is there. Um, so yes, we're meant to love one another, but you know, Jesus said crazy things like love your enemies, right? And so today, listen, conservatism and progressivism are fueled by opposition centered disdain and payback. Like that's, I actually don't think that's an overgeneralization. That's kind of what we're seeing. You know, that's what we're seeing. And so Jesus, like Jesus left no room for like vengeance and contempt. Just just look at his life. Look at how he related to people, to his opponents. Right? Um, he said things like, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute. And he was actually, remember, this is our Savior who is praying for the people who actually were killing him at the time. 
for forgiveness. So Jesus actually did model, you know, beautiful compassion and conviction of people who were his like real opponents. Okay, um, this is a this is a uh, a quote from a guy named Sam Wells. I think Sam is a I think he's Church of England, um, but regardless. One's view of who the president should be or who should sit on the Supreme Court or what economic policy should be pursued or how many migrants we should let into the country or a hundred other political conundrums, if these have become your defining characteristics, you are choosing to identify with something that isn't identical with your baptism. That is what identifies who you are. What is Dr. Wells saying? Christians can have disagreements on those issues. Hmm. They're, you know, not even, they're not even secondary issues. They're you know, tertiary issues you know, based on the fact that like, you can still be a Christian and disagree on that issue. Hmm. Don't make idols of those things. Yeah, I mean, he's saying that if we identify more with someone that shares our political ideology than our Savior, then, that, then we have a big problem. Um, that is a, that is finding our identity in the wrong place. Um, you know, one I do want to leave. I, I, I really want to leave time for questions. Um, <laughs> why is it that um, sometimes when you insult someone's political party or candidate or poly, policy position, that it's you've, it's like you've just insulted their mother? Like, why, why can that be the case? Uh, yeah. Is this, is it, yeah. Siri? Yeah. I think they're so passionate that if it doesn't go this way, it's all going to fall apart. Mm. And, I mean, they're just, it's just this, this way or the highway. Yeah. Yeah. It also makes me think of what I think Sandy Wilson used to talk about sometimes how reputation is our currency. Hmm. I mean, which just goes right to what you're talking about, which is identity. But I mean, whether it's our identity or our reputation, sometimes can be kind of so wrapped up in a particular view that if it's criticized, it feels like we are our reputation mm. being attacked. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Dave, I think it depends in part on how you deliver that message and also on how much that person identifies with that person or that view. Because if it's truly an idol, then that's an affront to them and their identity. And that's where you get the reaction from. Yeah. Yeah. But if you also deliver it in a harsh way, yeah. then you deserve a reaction in some form. That, that, there you go. Yeah. Yeah. Um, a, a, a particular struggle for, for Christians, I think, is, is that we often defend those things like we're actually contending for the faith. And I think we got to be very careful there because our political affiliation, affinities, and opinions, um, I think we've struggled in allowing those to become almost religious in nature. Um, and, and, you know, the, so part of it is let, let's get some perspective. This is merely a partisan or ideological battle, but it's not contending for the faith. It's not. It's important, but it's not contending for the faith. We can, we can really be passionate. So part of what I, I'm not telling you to care less. I do hope I'm communicating there are, there are good ways to care, but we can be passionate about certain candidates or policies, but we, but we, we need to pursue being reasonable, we have lost the art of disagreeing agreeably, right? That um, we could actually sit down and, and like seek to persuade someone um, that a, a certain, you know, political ideology or policy or candidate um, is, is, the, is the best way to, to pursue, you know, fill in the blank. But... Well, which reveals a big problem here, okay? 
Uh, many of us don't actually have friends that we can sit down with who belong to a, a different political party or a different ideological, um, political ideology, right? We can't actually sit down and have a reasonable conversation because we're actually not in close enough relationship with someone to do that. Um, everybody, every conservative needs a token liberal friend. We just do. Now we have families. Yes, yes it is, Jeff. Yes it is. So yeah. Not us. No, 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 y'all are, y'all are good. You can shoot this down, and we cannot talk about this. Okay, thank you. I'm gonna give you an option. Can I say yes now? Yeah. <laughs> it, it seems everything you're saying is true, but to sit down and have those good faith kind of discussions. There has to be some agreed-upon universe of facts that we both acknowledge to be true in order to have any kind of middle ground to communicate on. If my starting position is the sky is red and your starting position is the sky is blue, all we can do is talk past each other saying, well, no, it's not red, it's blue, no, it's not blue, it's red. And so there's, maybe this is a larger discussion about what is true. And how do we interact with truth? And you may not want to pursue this. But. I'm not, but I'm going to say this. Um, yeah, I mean, this is this is just wisdom and discernment in the sense of, I mean, it, the thing that comes to mind is we don't, you know, <laughs> pearls before swine. If it takes two reasonable people to have a reasonable conversation, and if you're not able to have that, you probably should just not have it. Yeah, but I, mean, I would say you should be able to sit down with someone, even in, like, this postmodern subjective truth, objective truth doesn't exist, the world, like, you should be able to sit down and have an honest and frank and agreeable conversation with someone who believes that. Like, you should not should not sit down and be like, well, you don't believe in objective truth. What's even the point of having this conversation? I, that's not what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah, but I'm saying if you're having that conversation and, in in, you know, through the course of that, you realize we've been sitting here for an hour. This is going nowhere. Brother, I love you, We're, but we just need to stop talking about this. Yeah, yeah, I was like, yeah. I was like yeah. not, not debating Adele on this, but yeah. like, that you should be, you know, even if you don't have an agreed-upon set of, look, our society has basically torn down all the idols of objective truth, so, you know, you should still be able to sit down and have conversations with people who don't believe in a objective truth. You should not be... I mean, like, it may be a fruitless conversation, but you should certainly yeah. be willing to have those conversations. Yeah. But, well, yeah. But, I mean, I think also kind of one of your points, and I think it's true, is that even people who have in common a particular objective truth may wind up in two different places politically. So, I mean, there's there's plenty of opportunity to have that conversation yeah. with somebody who yeah. is politically... Slanted different yeah. than you are. You I, I, plenty of. I think all three of you are right. Yeah. I, I I do think we're in we're in a moment right now where it there are just some. I think there's some core truths that if we can't agree upon, it'd be tough. And let's that might be a good tangent. I'm just not prepared to go down that tangent. So Dave will be in that corner if anybody wants to talk about that after. So, but let's. The only yeah. thing I'll add to that is that I think where as Christians we bring to that conversation is a degree of humility because whole, I mean, there are certain truths that clearly we hold fast to that we don't have to have humility over. But there are some, I mean, I remember when I was in, you know, a resident, first year residency, I had a senior resident tell me, hey, and you know what, in, in three months, you're gonna feel really strongly about these medical, about the way you, you, the way you, you treat these patients. Mm-hmm. And you're going to have reason to do that, but you're not going to have nearly as much reason as you think you do. Because yeah. we get we get really entrenched in what we believe and what we do because it's our own experience. Yeah. And to get out of that requires a degree of humility to say, hey, maybe I don't know everything. Mm. Or maybe these things that I think to be self-evident aren't necessarily self-evident. And I should actually listen I, I should listen and understand where the people are coming from. I think that's where, as Christians, we actually bring these conversations as yeah. a winsomeness and humility to be able to hear other people um, and and it's not to hear them. Yeah. Happen to hear. Yeah. Well, I would add I would add to the humility and winsomeness. Also, I, just, I I think there's a biblical duty to be a well-informed citizen. 
okay? Um, and so I think part of that, and th- again, this is kind of that tribalism that we've, we've been talking about is, but when is the last time that you actually listened to an argument from the other side? Like really sought to understand it. And here's what I don't mean. I don't mean the 10-second clip from Fox News or CNN, okay? I mean to truly understand Okay, and look, some of us just we're just more interested in politics and that's great. So that actually means we have more of a responsibility to be well informed. And so part of what that needs to needs to mean is that um, some of us need to refine our news consumption patterns. Okay, Um, so if you watch Fox, Fox News 10 hours a week and CNN none, that's not fair and balanced. See what I did there? If you watch CNN 10 hours a week and Fox News 9, it's not fair and balanced. Okay? So um, we, we have to be willing to engage with someone that views things differently. Um, and, and we have to do that. Um, we, can't, we can't plead ignorance. Right? We can't plead ignorance. Um, hey, Dave, I'll give you one more. Yeah. Because I think it's easy to point into cable news stuff and be like, well, I don't watch any cable news. Yeah. You, to your point about having a token liberal friend or a token conservative yeah. friend, if you're only getting your news consumption from Facebook and the only people you're friends with are the people who mm. want the same thing as you, that is not getting yeah. balanced news. Very like, great, great point. Question. Great, great point. The real facts. Yeah. So. Um, they're, they're a good friend of mine. He's a PCA elder. He's a law professor at Alabama. Um, absolutely, you know, uh, would would uh, lean on the conservative ideology. Um, I, I ask him, um, who are some thoughtful liberal voices that you read, that you engage with? And he gave me a couple. And so I followed them on Twitter, and I read things that they say. And I don't agree with most of what they say. Um, but they're actually reasonable and thoughtful. Um, and so, yeah, that you're right, is that we, we, have, to, we have to be careful there. Um, and, and when we go, lo- I mean, to your point, Joe, when we go looking for that other viewpoint, it's not the clickbait viewpoint, right? It's not the 10-second click. It's the reasonable opposing viewpoint. And that m- we might actually have to work a little bit harder to find that. Um, but, but it's there. Um, uh, it's there. Um, one other thing here, um, just as we're moving to landing the plane, um, neither conservatism or progressivism is our North Star, right? Um, and neither one of those are exempt from criticism. And so another struggle of, of Christians, and, and I think people who just align themselves with, with one, you know, political ideology more than the other is, is just an unwillingness to criticize their own tribe, so to speak. Okay? Um, and, and, I mean, all of these things must be run through biblical scrutiny, right? Uh, a conservative or progressive, you know, political ideology is not infallible. So it actually can be critiqued, it can be criticized, it can be, you know, corrected. Um, uh, 1 Corinthians 5, you, you might recall, you know, Paul's tackling sexual immorality, a you know, huge problem, right? And, and there's sexual immorality throughout the culture, but he's talking to the church, and he says, for what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? Now, I, I think there's a principle to take from here, okay? So I'm just taking a principle. Um, I'm... In that, let your own tribe be the first thing that you critique. Right? It's so easy to look at the sins of others, to look at the evils of others, to believe the worst in others, um, and not to uh, and just and just to ignore or be blinded by the issues in your own house. Um, and and look, ne- neither neither political ideology does this. Right? I mean, it's not being it's not really being done. Um, certainly not with you know, how we see it at 30,000 feet. Um, But, you know, you and I can actually criticize various aspects of 
you know, whatever political ideology that we would align ourselves with or a candidate or policy, like we can actually do that because that's not where our ultimate allegiance lies. My ultimate allegiance lies with Jesus. And so if I see certain policies or politicians that are inconsistent with a biblical faithful witness, I can just call a spade a spade, even if they're in my own tribe. Um, As I mentioned earlier, it's a little bit challenging right now because it, it seems like, you know, it's either or. And, and in a lot of ways, it is. Um, and so, I think... <laughs> I know that sound. I know that sound. I know that sound. Yeah. It's, sometimes it makes me want to do that too. I, I, I get it. I get it. I get it. Um, but right, it's it's either you know kind of Republican or Democrat, and and if and if you're Republican or Democrat, it's like like you have to fully embrace everything about that. Okay. Um, and so um, y'all, some of y'all may be aware of this. Some of you may be not. There's a group. It's called the Ann Campaign. Um, and um, I promise you're not going to agree with everything. Um, but they, as you can see, compassion and conviction. I just want to read this paragraph because I think it summarizes how they try to view things. Okay, And while they're also critiquing the political landscape. Um, so this is um, one of the authors. I'm not sure. It was written by three guys. Um, but listen to this. America's current political system separates love from truth, compassion from conviction, and social justice from moral order as if they're somehow at odds with one another. So people who support social justice issues generally don't support traditional views on morality and vice versa. But there's no clear reason why those two stances should be separate. It's just presented to us as the only way, and we accept it. Most people aren't aware that a viable alternative, um, alternative exists. And so here's how these competing narratives usually play out. Those on the right side of the political spectrum say they stand for individual freedom, patriotism, and moral order. Good things. Those on the left, on the other hand, claim to stand for justice, equality, and inclusion. Good things. Conservatives say progressives are immoral because of their positions on abortion, religious liberty, and the like. Progressives say conservatives are bigoted and lack compassion when it comes to poverty, race, and gender. And both sides have become less tolerant on differing viewpoints and often stamp out candidates and advocates who hold a more nuanced or moderate perspective. I think that is a beautiful paragraph of just kind of says where we are. Well, like this, this group and this movement is, is actually attempting to address that very thing. Um, it, it seems like, th- you know, they'll never get there with just how you view things, but they are absolutely worth engaging with, uh, for sure. Um, two things just from that I'd point out. Um, the, world, the world would separate those two, but the gospel transcends that false divide and actually shows us that we can and should value things on, on either end of the spectrum when they're consistent with a, a faithful biblical witness. Um, and then, and then the second thing, you know, friends, just let's not settle for intellectual laziness, okay? Let's don't settle for distortions. Let's don't settle for just towing the party line. Let's don't settle for extremes. Um, John Fountain and I went to a, a conference a couple of weeks ago, and uh, one of the guys that preached, he he exhorted us to be a um, a steady, faithful, non-anxious presence in a world that is losing its mind. I was like, wow, okay. <laughs> um, but that, like, that's, I think that's the role of the Christian. Let's be a faithful, steady, non-anxious presence in a world that's losing its mind. Okay? Um, so here's just a few other takeaways, and then I'm actually going to show like a two-minute video that's like really good, but also is a little bit funny. Um, if I can get the technology to work. Um, so just a few other takeaways. Um, remember that the church does have, like, does have weapons here, right? And our weapons are, are not, um, you know, protest and boycott or register and vote. Uh, it's pray and preach, okay? It's the weapons of the church. Um, 
gosh, we could have talked about this. Does your political ideology promote the flourishing of all of your neighbors or primarily people just like you? So remember, we are meant to be oriented towards the other. Because of the gospel, we can give up our power and our rights for the sake of others. And then this is, this is Keller, and I think it's just awesome. And I'm, I'm, we are, like, we're exposed to so much brokenness in the world of politics. Okay, we're exposed to so much brokenness. And so we as Christians must, and, and listen, really in the world, I'm just talking about politics. We as Christians must constantly expose our hearts and our minds to beauty. So what does that look like for you? How do you pursue beauty? Because it's so easy just to get bogged down and discouraged by brokenness. Keller's making the argument we need to be seeking to pursue beauty as well. Okay, um, So I'm going to try and... Um, Let's see. Let's see if I can do this. In a... This might be a dumb question, Dave, but what do you think about stuff like yard signs and stuff like that when you're trying to love your neighbor as well? Like putting things out there as a believer like that. Let me come back to that. Because okay. I do want to have, we've got a few minutes for questions. Okay, this is a guy by the name of Derwin Gray. Derwin is pastor at Transformation Church, I think right outside, uh, no, Charlotte, Charlotte. Uh, former NFL football player, very evangelical, very awesome guy. And so anyway, um, I just thought this, like, it's, it's good and, and, it's, and, it's, uh, and it's funny at the same time. Um, so, oh, you got to be kidding me. Volume, hold on. We tried this yesterday. Um, Tyler said all I had to do is reset this up here, so that's all I have to do. Please hold. Be thinking of your questions. <laughs> yes, put my number up there. Okay. Maybe that worked. Oh, it did, and then it went off. He's going. But he's not talking. What in the heck? It better be good, Dave. Yeah, I know. The build-up. This is what I was so nervous about. You should act it out. Yeah. Brad, Brad can attest. It's really good. Just not sure why it's... Um, well, okay, so be it. Um, all right, so, <laughs> Catherine, what was your question? What do you think about stuff like, no, n not, I mean, just putting your opinions out there with no explanation as a believer, like thoughtful conversations, amazing, believe in that. Like, you have a friend that's running for local office or whatever, but I mean, just like putting a sign in your yard and everyone knows, oh, they're this, oh, they're that, and how that could affect your witnessing opportunity with your neighbors. Do I have any thoughts on that? I mean, I think it requires wisdom and discernment on what kind of yard sign. There's a big difference between a school board sign and a let's get burned in sign. So. Very fair. Very fair. Like, what are y'all's thoughts on that? Discourse with people, um, if your neighbors are going to see a sign and take offense to that, it seems like that's an opportunity to have a discussion. It could open a door that mm -hmm. hasn't been open before. Yeah. Since judges and Alabama are elected, I fully support it. Because <laughs> <laughs> they're judges matter. Yeah. I mean, I will tell you, I have put signs up in my yard. Yeah. Um, I think they currently have one right now, and Tripp did not ask me if it was okay, but that's fine. <laughs> especially it has not always been one party and I feel like that for me mm. is not because I think you're just assuming that like it's one party and it's a stance but for me I think that mm. it's important you know from a practicing standpoint to like have a I mean a lot of times you have somebody running on a ticket that's never even tried a case and they're going to be hearing cases like that doesn't make sense so I like to encourage people. I love to talk politics, too. I'm not one of those people that doesn't. So I think if you do it, you're inviting the conversation. 
Um, and I think that requires being prepared yeah. to go there. Yeah. I can tell you, like, I had uh, in 2018, Ellen and I were living in downtown Orlando, which is about as progressive as a city on the East Coast. And so our neighbors across the street, who we became really good friends with, were not believers uh, and were very liberal. But he knew what I did, and we had a very good relationship. And like, this is somewhere where I think this guy showed a ton of grace where other believers probably wouldn't in an opposite situation. Mm -hmm. This guy called me to tell me that he was putting up a yard sign for Gillum. And it's like, I wanted to call you and tell you this, because you're my friend, but we have always put a yard sign up for the person who was running for governor. This is who we support. We understand you're going to disagree with it, but we wanted to tell you about it before. And like, totally, I was like, dude, totally cool. Like, we had a great relationship, and he showed a ton of grace in that situation that like, I feel like a lot of people who are believers would not have shown to neighbors of the opposite party. Well, and I don't, not, I'm not trying to six. Um, single Brad out. So, so Brad is a Republican political advertiser. Yeah, yeah. Works in. So, and and you were representing the the other guy, weren't you? Yeah. So that just to give a little bit of context there. But yeah, um, I, I do think it can. But what do you do when just somebody just drives by and sees it? Well, part of that is just like, look, if you're going to make a judgment on me because of a sign that you have in my that I have in my yard because you drive by. That's where I just don't care what people think about me, but, you know. Um, but I, 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 it's, it's wisdom and discernment, and um, I think I'm a lot more likely to put a sign up for, for, for local elections, too, um, I think. Uh, maybe I, I just kind of view that a little bit differently. I mean, you know, Catherine's cousin ran for mayor of Homewood. Had a sign up in our yard. <laughs> you know, thought he'd, be the, thought he'd be the best guy. Wrong question. Jenna. So this is a broad question about um, offending people, not intentionally. Yeah. What is the, I mean, the biblical understanding I have of when that occurs is that you go and ask for forgiveness. Is that correct? And can you expound on what other biblical um, directions you would give someone if you unintentionally offend somebody? With your, what are your thoughts? Yeah. With all kinds yeah. of yeah. Yeah. Um, yes. I mean, I would say that the you know certainly there's a um, a biblical um, you know the Bible definitely gives direction there um, on doing that. I think there. Well, one. I think it is to pursue that. Now, I also I also feel like I, there there should be a little bit of nuance. Um. Because I think, I mean, there are times where, um, like, we really should have really um, thick skin. And so um, how significant of an offense is it? And part of this is just, I think, wisdom. Um, uh, And part of it is, you know, if we are the one who's been offended, and also, well, this would be kind of a bigger conversation, I guess, of like, I think you can be offended. I think you can be sinned against and offended. But I don't necessarily think that you can, if you're offended, that doesn't necessarily mean you've been sinned against. And I think I'm right in saying that, and I think I said that correctly. Um, so... I think Matthew 18 is not just, oh, I've said something that's offended you. No, that's a sin that has broken a relationship with another believer. So I think when you're talking about just offending someone with your words, um, I mean, I I know you asked a general question. Um, I think generally it depends on the context of that relationship. Um, If... I mean, I'm like Scott and I are close. You know, if I say something that really offends him. Now, first off, if like he has a responsibility to say, hey, Dave, that was actually very offensive. Right. Um, But if, you know, if if it just caught him off guard or, you know, we're passing each other in the hallway and then I realized it later. Well, I need to go to him and say, Scott, I think I said something earlier that offended you. There's a close relationship here. Now, 
I know that I have said something from a lectern or a pulpit that has offended somebody. Um, that doesn't necessarily mean that that person should come to me. Part of the hard work, I think, is like, why was I offended? Was it a, was it a good reason, a valid reason? For now, now I'm putting my Sandy hat on here, right? It's just like, was there a valid reason to be offended? So, and we can have an all, we can have a conversation on the side if we need to. But I, I mean, that's a yeah. I don't know if I answered that at all. <laughs> Other questions, thoughts? I think I think the questions we're asking is what is the could this break fellowship? Could this break my fellowship with someone else? Whatever this is. Could it or should it? It should not. I would yeah. say it should not. Yeah. You should not break fellowship. Yeah. And if putting a sign in the yard, if putting your sign in the yard and putting your covenant advent sign come out to our sunrise service in Vulcan, yeah. if half the people that drive by your sign are like, yay, and they see your advent sign, they're like, yay, and they drive by your political sign, they're like, boo, and they see your advent sign, and are boo, you have to understand there's an impact. You leave, your, your footprint is bigger than the sun. Yeah. And so I don't think any, it, the whole po- point of the conversation is there's no such thing as a benign political position. Yeah. It's not. It, it, it yeah. has teeth. It has grit. Sure. And I'm reminded, you know, Christ cried out in the garden that, that his church would be united and his disciples would be united. Yeah. And I think that uh, we, should be, we, should, we should be very intentional, very thoughtful and very wise and know that our, our unity is, is more important to the kingdom yeah. than some other things. So let, let me take that one step further. If, 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 you, if you're aware of someone here at Covenant that you know just views things from a different political ideological framework, what? just go sit down with them and here's what you should seek to do. Understand where they're coming from. Just understand them. Because they may have a very different story, background, perspective than you. Um, and you may walk away from that even more firm in your conviction. But if you show that, that humility and that winsomeness, that gentleness towards them and you listen. Um, and, and, you know, there's a time to try and persuade. But if you just listen, man, that's going to go a long way. That's going to go a long way because they're, I mean, they're going to be seen and heard. Right. Other thoughts, questions? It is 7.15. If you have kids and need to go pick them up, please do so now. Um, I'll hang around if y'all want to talk more.